Hey folks, Sam Jones here. Welcome to another edition of Off Camera, the show where I get to talk to iconic, creative, curious artists and find out how they got that way. And in this episode, I sit down with actor, writer, and director Chadwick Boseman. As you may have surmised by listening to this podcast, I grew up a Dodger fan, and I love the sound of Vin Scully's voice on the radio, and I love the rich history of the Dodgers' move from Brooklyn to L.A., and of course, I love the legacy of Jackie Robinson. But that's not the only reason I was excited to sit down with Chadwick, who portrayed Jackie with such grace and dignity in the film 42. I had to know how you take on a role like that when Jackie Robinson himself has already starred in his own biopic. That's competition, folks. But Chadwick decided to use his insecurity as determination, something I imagine Jackie had to do more than once in his own career. It worked for both of them. Chadwick has since electrified the screen as James Brown and now takes on the role of Supreme Court Justice Thurgood Marshall. That's all before he gets marvelized in the upcoming Black Panther. Chadwick didn't set out to play a string of historic black icons, but he's come to appreciate the chances he's had to shed light on the African-American experience. He told me he knows there's risks involved in taking legends off their pedestals, but the bigger risk is not portraying them as fallible, three-dimensional humans. That's one way he hopes to widen opportunities for black actors and also widen our perspective on the characters they should play, like serial killers, for instance. In this episode, you'll hear how a guy who set out to be a playwright and director wound up becoming one of our most talented actors, and how his years at Howard University shaped him as an artist. We'll also talk about guys named Chris, and how to play the lead in a courtroom drama when you're not allowed to speak. The more I watch his work, the more I look forward to seeing more of it. I admire him as a person as much as I do as an artist. So pull up a chair and listen in. Hey, Chadwick. What's up, Sam? How you doing? I'm doing great, man. Thanks for doing this. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, I'm, I was very excited to have you because um, I grew up a Dodger fan, and I love the movie 42. That's where I first saw you. Mm -hmm. And it's funny, I look at some of your early work, like Draft Day and 42 and Get On Up, and it's like you clearly killed yourself for these roles. Right. Right? Yeah. And now you have this film, Marshall, which is about... Thurgood Marshall, and I'm thinking maybe you didn't have to kill yourself for this one. Maybe you just got to <laughs> mentally. And I wondered if they, if if it threw you for a loop. Like how do I, how do I eat, breathe, and sleep a role where I don't have to learn how to dance or learn how to play baseball or something like that? You know? Yeah. You know the funny thing about it is, you're right. I, when I got it, I was like. Uh, Okay, well, wh where's the where's the hard part? But it, you know, there's <laughs> always a hard part. There's always something you didn't expect that shows up. I think everybody that um, that commits themselves to uh, a role, they always find that there's like you just go deeper. You know what I'm saying? You just go um, into the details of a thing. And it wasn't laid out for you like it was with, with no. Jackie Robinson. No. It, it wasn't as clear. Yeah, it, it, to me, the research became a thing of extracting um, from the biographies, who is this person? And I had contact only through a letter with the family before I shot it. I, I've, I've talked to them after they oh, really? saw the movie. But I didn't really talk to the family in the same way um, because I felt like it was going to actually throw me off. You know, I would be looking at them saying, I do not look like his son. I do not look like 
his family. And so it became a thing of how do I pull the essence of this person? Um, and they also didn't know him at this particular time in his life. Right, you know? we should say this isn't a conventional biopic yeah. that, that starts in Baltimore when he's six years old yeah. and goes through his life to the Supreme Court. It, it's an incredibly small slice of his life. It's, what, three weeks of his life right, or something like that, right, which is right. a pretty interesting choice, especially given that the main subject of the film is a case where we couldn't even really see his full skills. His full, yeah, exactly. Because he's sort of silenced in this film he's, by a white judge in New York who won't give him permission to speak. And, and so, yeah, it became, a, and I think that was the other thing that was difficult is like when you you get, somebody says, here's the script, you know, where Thurgood Marshall is the lead. It's not just about Thurgood Marshall, it's about the case. But here's the, here's the Thurgood Marshall movie. You're like, okay, I'm going to have the, these great speeches. I can use all of my, you know, my classical Thespian training and, yes, nature, I, and, and, yeah. and make it theatrical in the courtroom. And you don't really have that here. Not at all. Um, and so it becomes a thing of how do I subtly and silently lead in this film, which to me is more difficult than having the lines. So, you know, you're, you're finding yourself... In an intense, concentrative, meditative state, while Josh and Dan Stevens are doing their version of what I just said. Right, Josh Gad plays yeah. the attorney that you, he's sort of your mouthpiece in a way. Yeah, right. And you're sort of guiding him. He's yeah. the heir to my Moses. And, and, exactly. And so, you know, it, it becomes a thing of how do I do this silently? And how do I have the right intention so you can see what I'm thinking when I'm not saying anything? To me, is much more difficult than actually having the words because now I have to convey things that I'm not saying very, very clearly. So to me, that was, that's just as hard. You know, you have to know where the camera is. You have to know what the cinematographer is doing. You have to know what you have to fight for certain shots that maybe they're not thinking about. Um, and so th- just being, you know, completely present when usually be like, oh, they're not on my shot. They're not they're not thinking about me. You, you really I was like I had to plan a lot of that um, to make sure I got what I wanted out of those scenes when I wasn't talking. Right. And so to me, it's like I said, there's always a hard part. Is that the joy of it for you, that there is a hard part? It's the, it, yeah, I think you're looking for the challenge. You're looking for the thing that, um, you know, if, it, if I could just show up and just sort of breeze through it, it's not going to make me better. You yeah. know what I mean? And it, it's, it, you're not going to stand out by just doing what is, you know, uh, it's, it's obvious to, to most people. And so to me, it, it's like I, I love it when I look at a script and I find those things that are like, oh, whoa, that's... That's that's there. I know all the rest of this is here, but but that's there. And that's the most interesting thing that is evident. Like a script very often, I think, will give you A and C or even A and D and you fill in the gap. You're like, oh, right. where this gap is, is the truth, actually. And so to me finding those things is, is, is I think it's very exciting I think it's, it's also a, a, a thing that you learn in theater you know when you when you're in theater you you sit down and you you um, you read do your read through you talk through scenes 
you have rehearsals. Those are the things you usually find on stage. So you got to sort of create that for yourself, for yourself on film. Yeah. Right. So what does your script look like, and how do you break it down? <laughs> you mean when it, when you're doing when the work, done, when you've when done the work? Yeah. Oh man, if you saw it, like it's <laughs> it's so funny because uh, sometimes you you'll do. I'm, not, I'm trying to be as cryptic as I could possibly be. You do a movie <laughs> with a big company, right? And they're very, very secretive, and they don't—they want their scripts back. I'm the some ho- big company like I, Marvel. Yeah, I'm the hardest. <laughs> I'm the hardest person to get the script back from because it's so much stuff written there. So, what's an example of something you would write um, to help? You know, like does it become sort of like a a journal in some ways, or yeah, yeah. I mean, it'd be in the, on the front pages, the back pages. Um, you know, it, it, it for instance might be, uh, you know, a song, like like the song, a song or lyrics of a song written on the sides of the page that to you says this is what this scene is about. Wow. It could be anything. It could be anything. It could be like you drew a picture of something that that. Um, like I hope they shoot it like this because right. that that would be cool. So you might even like storyboard it, you know, whatever whatever it, it is that gets you off, you know, you you put it there. Like it's not a it's not a linear path, is what I hear you saying. Yeah, like it's to to put it to make it very clear. It's like if I was going through this process and it was theater, I would get the opportunity to live this world. And I would do that for a four to six week rehearsal period. I would work all this stuff out with the other people and, you know, um, the director. We have tech rehearsal, we have previews, we have all that stuff. And so by the time you get to the performance, it's like an athletic play. Yeah. You're like, I'm running the play that we, we worked on. It's, it's, it's not different than, than sports. Uh-huh. And when you're doing a film, you don't really have that same opportunity. People are showing up. Like, I, I marvel at how good everyone is at what they do because they don't have that same process. So everybody has their tricks, you right. know, their, their ways of getting to that place where this feels like it's real life. Um, and what, what did you... In other words, pull out of that reading process or um, preparation process that allows you to walk in today and go, oh, this is the scene we're doing. Okay, cool. Oh, yeah, I remember. It was, you know, it was that, it was that, um, like I heard you playing Bob's Adagio. It was Bob's Adagio for strings. Like, <laughs> oh, you heard that? <laughs> yeah, I heard that. <laughs> so it was that. Okay, yeah, let me listen to that song. Oh yeah, that's what put me in that place. Okay, cool. You 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 have to have something that that um, makes you feel like you're living it. Right. I mean, and it's it's like you know the words that most people would say. Oh, what's my intention? What's my objective? What's all that? It is. It's all that too. But but uh, you know, for me, I feel like you have to have very um, visceral and tangible um, uh, stimuli yeah. that, that also inform those textbook acting, um, you know, tools that right. everybody uses. Well, after I saw this film, I didn't know a ton about Thurgood Marshall 
past the Brown versus the Board of Education, the fact that he was the first African-American Supreme Court justice. But what I didn't know is that he got kicked out of, or he got rejected from Maryland mm-hmm. College. Yeah, yes, yes. And he ended up going to Howard. Mm-hmm. And then sued the University of Maryland. And yeah, then he sued yeah, the University yeah, of Maryland. Yeah, yeah. But I thought it was really interesting that you also went to Howard and you went to the same school as this man. Right, yeah, yeah. And, and it, it just made me think, like, I wonder how a historically black university played a part in both of your... Um, Obviously, that was a different time, but but in your intentions for how your career would go, and you know what I mean. And I, and I just wonder if, when you hit upon that, if you found other things you had in common with him, or if that's well, what I, what I found, <laughs> what I found to be interesting about because you know, it's it's funny. I just came from Howard. I just went to Howard on our press tour. Oh, really? And I got this amazing like. You know, shout out to Howard. Love y'all. <laughs> Got this amazing reception um, I bet. from the students at Crampton Auditorium where they showed the film. And it was like, you know, we got there because we had done another screening of the film uh, prior to that, not prior to theirs. And we left that and went to the Howard screening and got there at the end. And it was like listening to a basketball game because they were cheering so much. You know, really? for so many different things, and I was like, "Are they watching our film? Is this <laughs> like, like, is this? Is, are they watching a film where is this uh, like, is the football team winning again? What is what's going on?" <laughs> so that experience, I think, is is one. You know, I, I I didn't attend a white university, so I can't really make the comparison. Yeah. I, I studied in an exchange at Oxford. Um, so I can make a little bit of a comparison, but to spend your four years in a place and have the culture of that place um, sort of, um, I guess, direct your mind and direct your focus and purpose, um, I know what that is. You know, Howard has, was one of the schools that was, that was created after slavery to sort of catch um, the, the enslaved African up with the rest of the country. It was, its purpose was to create teachers and ministers um, uh, to improve um, the African-American situation. I think a similar thing sort of probably happened with me at Howard as a theater student because you as a theater student would be taught Shakespeare and Pinter and Beckett. And when I went to study in Oxford, I, I studied those things. Sure, um, Shaw. Yeah, exactly. You, you, I think at Howard would be pressed to focus on um, August Wilson, Rob Penny, um, Susan Lori Parks, a, a, a myriad of, of, of black playwrights and writers who, you know, essentially are writing uh, the African-American, African experience. Like you, they are writing what you are actually going to be doing, because in some cases you will have, uh, and I've seen this. You'll have students that are, that go to, and they're great, they're amazing artists, but what they're taught in schools where they're surrounded by white teachers and white students, they're taught a a um, a set of a set of tools that they're not necessarily going to always use when they get out. Right. Because I'm going to be playing black characters. Right. Even if the character is written, um, you know, to be white and I end up playing it, 
I'm still black. But Howard, I feel like, in any other historically black college that, you know, feels like they have a great theater program, it, it allows you to learn that experience while you're in school and be confident in it. And you don't ever have to walk out and go, oh, uh, I have to find that I'm in the real world now. And I have to nobody, make a shift. nobody ever taught me. Yeah. They taught me Shakespeare, Pinter, and Beckett. But now here I am. I have to bring myself to the table. It makes total sense when you say that. And you made a joke in an interview once that just struck me so like at such a base level and it was uh it was about guys named chris <laughs> oh yeah and you said that there seems to be room for so many white actors to get jobs and get billboards and become the guy and so many in fact that like there can be a chris pine and a chris hemsworth and a chris evans and a who i love all of them by the way yeah they're, they're and, my boys <laughs> and a chris pratt i mean there's yeah. and and there's room for all of them and you made a point that, for me, I, I, maybe I'm the guy for right now for a few movies, but there's a much tinier slot. And I think it speaks to the history of filmmaking and storytelling in this country is based from a white perspective. And so the infrastructure is not there to support it. I, I, I don't want to down other schools at the same time. Or other Chris's. Uh, or the Chris's. <laughs> but, but I do feel like um, there's, we're in a time right now where I, I, I love it and relish the fact that when I shot Black Panther, I'm shooting it with Michael B. Jordan. Right. And we can coexist. Now, was that someone that you were up against for auditions? Yeah, we've had certain moments where... You're both fighting for the same yeah, role. Yeah, yeah, of course, of course. Yeah. And have actually played the same role. That, that's actually happened before. Really? Yeah, yeah. There's a character uh, called Reggie on All My Children. We both played that role at one point in time. You're going way back. <laughs> I, I did not go that far yeah, back in yeah, your work yeah, to the yeah. All My Children Yeah, days. no, it's all good. <laughs> when you find it, you're going to be like, wait a minute, how did that wow. happen? But we won't go there. Yeah. But there's this thing of if you're, if you're making movies and you're doing well, people start to say, oh, he's the next um, guy, or they even go so far as to say, and this is like completely um, frightening for me, they say, oh, he's the next Denzel, or he's that. People will make that comparison. Right. You're like, no, Denzel is literally the only Denzel there will ever be. But it's um, reductive, because I don't think that happens with white actors. No, it doesn't. It's, it's so reductive. Um, but it's not just you know, the casting directors or the, the execs that do that. It's the African-American community, community that does it. They're, they're the ones online saying that and making you know, your success be based upon the idea that there can only be one of you. And it's part of what Hollywood has done to our minds. You know, it's made it where we all think that only one of us can exist. And we as actors, we talk about this. We talk about how debilitating that is, how negative it is, how, um, you know, it's, it's also frightening, you know what I'm saying, to a certain degree, because you feel like you, it, it, it divides and conquers. It makes us... Pitch you against each other. Pitch us against each other, yeah. exactly. So, you know, I, I, I root for Idris Elba. I root, I root for, for, for David and Michael. and I root for everybody because I know if they do well, the truth is... Um, it, it presents an opportunity for me as well. It means, you know, 
truthfully, the studio will say, hey, that kind of movie worked. Um, you know, let's do another movie like that. And so then an opportunity for me opens up. You know, I understand that idea, but there are some actors out there who are actually like, I'm going to take his spot. <laughs> you know, I'm right. going to take his moment. Well, look, you know? I mean, no matter what, where you come from, what culture you are, what color you are, this is a dog-eat-dog, extremely low-percentage, high-risk job. It's not hard to think that way. It's not. It's not. <laughs> but but when you feel when you feel like there's literally only one. Yeah, I mean that is, you know, it's mind-boggling because you know we go well. How come we never saw Denzel and Fishburne in the, in the same movie? Like, how? Why did that never happen? Right. You know, we ask those questions. Like, why did I only see um, uh, Morgan Freeman and Denzel and Andre Brower in Glory. Why is that the only moment when they were playing um, uh, Union soldiers trying to free slaves? Like, that's the only time we ever saw that. Right. That never happened any other time. Whereas you can put all of these white actors in Ocean's Eleven. Yeah. You have all of them together. And then you throw Don Cheadle in You there. throw Don Cheadle in and, and you're and good. Mac, and it's like, okay, we're good. Yeah. But, but you, all of these leading men can be in one movie when it's white actors. But you can't do that when it's the black actors. Um, that is something that we, you know, I go, that's not right, you know? Yeah. We should be able to co- coexist. There should be opportunities for all of us. Um, if we put the work in and we're able to carry a movie or support a movie or whatever, we should we should be able to, to work. Yeah. Um, because... We have just as much of a right to do that. And I'm not just speaking of black actors. Black actors I'm speaking of Latino actors, um, you know, Asian actors, whoever. If you've done the work, you know, and there is a story for you, it's all about the stories and people saying these stories are valid. Right. This story is valid. I want to see that story. Um, then there should be opportunities for you. Well, obviously, if you're a kid and you go to your parents one day and go, I'm going to be an actor, the first thing the parent thinks is not great. They think, oh, my God, he's in for a lifetime of disappointment. Right. right? And it's interesting to read your history because it seems to me like you had quite, a, um, quite an internal conflict about which part of the business you wanted to be in. And, and you actually were at Howard studying directing and writing, and you weren't really focused on acting mm-hmm. at all. And I, I wonder if that points to this idea that maybe you wanted to have a little more control over the outcome of success of your career. Well, shoot, that would mean, that would mean I started with a smart strategy and abandoned it because that's, well, what, that's, I, that's, the, uh, that's what I did. That's the credit that I gave you. That's I thought, well, here's a guy who's like clearly gonna, gonna create work or, or a guy that you know just seemed like acting is such a risky thing. You know, it, it, the funny thing about it is my... Um, my road to being in front of the camera or being on stage, because it be, it started with being on stage and, and, and not, it's one that, like, my brother was, uh, my older brother, one of my older brothers was, was a, uh, a dancer for Alvin Ailey. Oh, really? Martha Graham, Donald Byrd. He was an amazing dancer. So the stage was something that I, I sort of, was introduced to through him. Um, 
and I have another brother who's a minister. So being in front of people, they they, they sort of they sought out the spotlight. A they sought bit. the spotlight. I, I was more like, uh, you know, I play sports. I don't really want to talk. You know, like I, um, I don't want that experience. So you weren't a natural look at me guy. No, I was more like, let me go draw this picture or paint this painting and sculpt something and look at my work. You know, I was quiet. There was an artist in me, um, but I didn't really know that it was going to manifest in this particular way. Uh, so I actually got into um, theater because I was playing AAU basketball, and there was a, a brother on my team who was shot. And my response, weirdly, was because my brother, who was in New York at that time, uh, had traveled to, uh, I think we were in, he was in Augusta, Georgia, and I went to go see him perform um, shortly after, it was like a few days after uh, this death. I started writing um, sort of on the way home in the car. Just started writing this script. And I didn't even know it was a script. It was just a story. But I was responding to the fact that he had, that, that my friend, my teammate had died. And so um, once I had this thing sort of compiled, I went to another friend of mine. And, and he was like, hey, let's put this together this way. Let's put it together that way. Mark Pete. I talked to him in years. And we started directing this play. I got my friends together. I was like junior year in high school. Yeah. And um, we put this play up, and we didn't know what we were doing. And did it feel like a, a moment of energy, like this feels right it just, to me? It and- feels right. It just felt, if, to me, there's a certain, um, you know, there's a certain thing about theater that is pure, um, that I f- somehow found without having any teachers. Wow. Um, it was like I wanted to deal with, you know, why people were getting killed in my, this was South Carolina, you know, people probably think it's like, you know, completely peaceful, but, you know, sometimes people don't have anything to do. They do a lot of stuff they don't need to be doing. Yeah. Your minister brother would say the devil makes work for <laughs> idle hands. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I, I, I was, you know, in my teenage mind trying to decipher why there was so much unrest. And so this was my first legitimate, I guess, theatrical experience because it was so real. So I started to, you know, delve into like speech and debate at school, even though it wasn't what I would normally do. And then I looked at films, you know, Spike Lee was making all yeah. his stuff at that particular time, some of his greatest movies. Um, and so that made me go, okay, well, let me look at, I didn't know what the difference between film and theater was, really. You know, film was something that was so ambiguous. So when I went to Howard, I didn't really know whether I was going to do film or theater. And what ended up happening is I talked to one of my professors she eventually became one of my professors, Vera Katz, great director, teacher, great acting teacher, changed my life. And she said, if you really want to know about directing, don't worry about those machines because 
those machines are not as complicated as the human experience. Don't worry about the cameras, don't worry about the lights. They're important, but you can learn all that. But if you want to direct, the most complicated thing is learning how to direct the actors. And so I then became one of her students. And so the weird thing about it is, the reason why it seems like I you know, was unsure is because I was learning it from that perspective. Right. I was learning it from the perspective of, let me figure out what this human experience, what the psychological experience is, what the emotional experience is. So you took an acting class to learn how to direct actors. Exactly. Were you like the guy that everyone knew before you did that, that like, maybe you should be acting? I think I had teachers that, that were like, you should be acting. But the students, like, I, I would say that of my peers, um, people would go, he's on a show? Like, he's acting? You know, of my peers, people expected me to direct because I had that relationship with them. I had right. the relationship of, yo, I got this idea for you. Well, okay, so, so let's fast forward a little bit to, say, the, the time right before your 42 audition. Did you still have a little conflict in your head of what, like, am I going to write, am I going to direct? Huh. It, uh, 2011 was it, was, it was, a, it was a weird time because previous to that, like, I had gone to, I was back and forth between L.A. and New York, and I, you know, essentially, like, L.A. was this, you know, phenomenon that was in my head while I was in New York that I just had to conquer. And so around 2000, in the 2008, 2009, I went out for the first time and was like, and immediately started booking stuff. And it was like crazy. Like, I booked Lincoln Heights. I booked... Persons unknown, I, and I worked so continuously up through 2010. When I got to 2011, I could not, I could not get anything. Like, oh, really? I, like, so you I had could, a bad I, year. I had a bad year, and so I then was like, I'm just gonna go back to New York and stay in New York, and I'm gonna just direct because I, I don't want to, you know, I, I shouldn't have been doing that anyway. You shouldn't have been acting in that way. I should have been acting. Should have stayed on your directing path. Yeah, I should have stayed on directing writing. And so I literally went out to. uh, I went to L.A. um, to actually cast um, actors in a short that I was directing. And while I was there, and, and I was casting actors in a short in L.A. And I was directing a play off Broadway in New York, and it wasn't like I was broke. I had made some money, so I was able to to deal with things in that way. And so, look, um, was literally paying for both of these things. So it, it just so happened that while I was in LA, I was supposed to to get back to the rehearsals of this play, and my agent said, "Hey, while you're here, you should go into this audition." And 
I was like, yeah, but I got to get back to rehearsals. It's gonna, I'm going to be late. He's like, no, no, but you need to go into this audition. They want to see you. And it was happened to be 42, right? Right. And so I go in to this audition and meet Brian Helgeland. And um, I knew immediately that he was special, you know. Yeah. Uh, after the audition, the way we talked, the way we collaborated with each other, um, that it was like, you know, I want to work with him you know, in some capacity. Yeah. Whether it be assisting him writing or whatever it is, I want to work with him someday. And so... So you're still not getting it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, in some capacity, I want to... to. And so I walked out, went back to... uh, went back to New York, was directing the play, and while we had wrapped the play, because it was only for a few showings, it was the World Series, and I get the call, it's like, hey... I think they want you for this part, you know. I'm watching the end of the World Series, and they're calling me saying, you're going to play Jackie Robinson. Like, you need to get back to L.A. so you can do this baseball tryout. And I'm like... Because you had to do a baseball tryout. Oh, yeah. I hadn't done that yet. And so, there were, like, two auditions. <laughs> oh, yeah. Absolutely. First, we find out if he can act. Yeah. And really? Then, and then let's see if he can, if he can you know... You know he can he can run and chew gum and. Did you play it growing up? I played yeah, I played little league baseball. Okay. I kind of stopped when it when it got to the point where I I, I feel like I made a decision to play basketball. Okay. So it it it, it was it was crazy because I was like okay uh, go back and do this baseball like I'm gonna be acting again like huh the crazy thing is I go back and. The baseball audition, now I still have to direct a short film, right? And so <laughs> I literally stayed up all night, because we had a night shoot. Yeah. Directed this night shoot. And the next, um, the baseball audition, baseball tryout was in the afternoon. So I slept a few hours. Oh, my God. <laughs> and went to, went to that tryout. And it was crazy. But I'll tell you, the thing that really struck me about this film, uh, and it's probably the most unique uh, situation in doing a biopic ever, is that in 1950, a film came out called The Jackie Robinson Story. Right. And Jackie Robinson was played, played Jackie Robinson. by Jackie Robinson, <laughs> which, which in some ways I would think would be an incredible resource that you can go and see this film and see the actual guy and what he talked like and what he walked like and what he did. Right. But at the same time, I would think it would be incredibly daunting to watch the guy play himself and then have to figure out how to make it your own. And, and I just wondered, like, there's got to be some part of that that's yeah. really scary, watching it and then going, i got to go do this. Because, by the way, he's not the greatest actor in the world. Right. Well, the, the, the great thing about thinking about it now is that I have not just that movie to sort of answer the question, but but even Marshall to answer this question. Um, you know, it's playing a real person is not imitation of the person. Right. And because imitation can, you know, it can be flattering and it also can be, um, you know, you making fun of the person. You know, if it's too close at times, it, it becomes you making fun of them. And so there has to be a little bit of a separation, I, I think, in order for you to successfully do it. 
Um, or you can be so caught up in the details that you miss the things that are important. But I would it, imagine you had to learn that through the process of you, this Jackie you, you, movie, You do, right? you do. And so from that, I, you know, I can successfully say, okay, well, now how do I figure out how to do Marshall? You know, that's why I could go, okay, I don't look like him. Um, you know, there's not a lot of footage. You know, there's not a lot of audio. How do I do this? There's right. no way I could do Marshall if I hadn't done these other two movies. Yeah, like, you didn't get on up. Yeah. yeah well, you know, yeah, like, I mean, I, I was going to ask you, like, around that time when you're starting to study all the footage and everything, what do you think, if you could pinpoint it, what do you think your greatest insecurity about about the role was based on, like, starting to look at footage and thinking about it? Oh, I mean, <laughs> you... To me, the baseball stuff was so... Um, there's there, there's two things. There's there was the baseball. Um, side, we did side by sides. So and I had these, what does that mean? Meaning they they would literally shoot me at practice. They would film me doing everything he did, and I would be at home at night watching how he did stuff. Right. Oh, so you, so Jackie's and, 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 footage would be right next to yours. And, yeah, they would they would oh then, they would then compile side by side footage of 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 him doing it and me doing it. And then me, I would have to go, okay, I want to do that exactly like him. So that Here's, would create some insecurity oh, right there. Because you, like, you see him do it and then you watch you and you're you like, I me? thought I was looking more like that and guy. And you're not. Yeah, like, <laughs> and you're not. And it's, but the closer you get to it, the, the closer you get to, to looking like him, the more you're like, okay, I, I have to do this. So I, I remember showing up on set. Um, and I'll get to this, what the second thing is. But I remember showing up on set. Um, for 42, and they had, you know, I had done all this work, months and months of base, baseball training, and the uh, stunt coordinator, Alan Graff, love Alan Graff. Alan Graff was like, he shot so many, he actually shot the, the Express, the, all of the football scenes in the Express. Yeah. So he's like a second unit director. But he had a stunt double there to do all of my baseball stuff, and I was like, so I show up the first day, we're shooting like the Negro League scene, and he's like, you're not doing it. It's not doubles, come on, let's do it. And I was like, live it. I'm like on the side watching him do it, and every time he did it, I was like, that's wrong, that's wrong, that's wrong, that's wrong. I'm, I'm over there giving them so much shit. Really? <laughs> that they can't even shoot the scene. Alan's like, you got you to shut up. You got to shut up. Because we, <laughs> we try to shoot the scene. We only got so much time. I was like, no, let me do it. Because I'm pointing out things that I know Jackie Rock. I've done this side by sides that he did. And the, and the stunt double has not watched it like I've done it. He's not even close. He you comes know? in thinking, I got this. This is my job. Yeah. And he's sliding on his right Like Jackie Robinson always slid on, on, his, one left side, side. on his left side. And he, this guy's like, well, sliding on his right side, or he's sliding on his right side because he's, he's, you know, if he's coming from this base to this base, he would slide on his right side. I said, look, I've watched every piece of footage, all the Hall of Fame footage. He never, ever, 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 ever slid on this side. And he didn't hold his arm like that when he was sliding. He didn't do this. He didn't do that. And so from that point on, um, they, they were like, just to shut him up, Right, we gotta let him do some takes, and then once I started doing takes, they were like, "No, nope, just let him do it." And so, it's it was a thing of 
okay. Well, you had to earn it. I, yeah, and but it, but at the same time, it it, it made the movie go faster. Yeah, and, for sure. And it and it made us. It made it be like, well, we don't have to cut to allow this stunt double to do this. So now I actually get the feeling of the actor doing this, as opposed to like if I got to cut away from it, you don't get the emotion that the story that went into this movement. So it made the movie better. You know For what I'm saying? Sure, yeah. So, so that was one thing. It was the, ins- the insecurity of it then became like the actual passion, um, the challenge. And I want to do this because it's going to, I worked at it and I want to make the movie better um, because of all these things that I found. You know, and I was like, he, he had an injury on, on the other side, actually, on his ankle, that at one point maybe could have ended his career playing football. And now he plays baseball. He's literally one of the fastest people, like, stealing bases and all this. And I believe he does not slide on that side because of that injury, right? Oh, interesting. And I can, can't verify that, but it's like you kind of start connecting dots and reasons why a person does a certain thing. And I'm like, he'd never do that. He'd never slide on that side. He'd never do this that way. He'd never do that that way. And what you're describing is exactly, I think, how to take it from an imitation to making it your own is that... You sort of made your own story about you, you connected to. the dots. You have to. It's and of course you would not want someone else to do that work for you because how do you play a character and not play him athletically? Like not be a part of those scenes. Yes, yeah, you, you can't. I mean, we talked about this at the very beginning, right, when you sat down. The physicality of, of that role or, or of putting all that work into the physicality, it probably makes the acting more instinctual. I would assume there's times when you have to slide into second base 50 times to get it right. right. And at that point, are you really acting when you stand You're up? You're not. No, no. And, and, and that's... So you have to be him. That's 100% right because it's the same, you know, you, you, we're abused on these films. You know, people, people like, they romanticize. We've been, we've been abused on these press tours, you know what I'm saying? Because mentally you're like, uh... How many people have I talked to? I don't even know what I'm saying at this point. We abused you on the way in. Right, right. No, you did not. You did not. <laughs> you offered me we offered almond you a milk, coffee. coconut milk. Then we made you yeah, make it. Yeah. <laughs> no. But, but you, you put, especially with movies like this that have meaning, you, you sort of put your life on the line. And, um, you know, you, know you, you, you leave with injuries that, or scratches and bruises that, you're, that are never going to go away. And they become sort of like badges right. of what you've done. And so for me, it's a thing of, yes, you, you want um, to do that work because at a certain point there is a transition that happens where, you know, you've heard the, the Phillies managers say, these words so many times that now it, it registers in a different place um, and you're still hearing um, those words when you, when you do this athletic movement. You're still hearing that the 50th time, you know, when somebody spikes you or, you know, um, or, or somebody says something to you on the base, you're still hearing this collage of things when you're doing this, when the, when the director's saying, hey, I remember Brian coming to my um, to my trailer saying he's like, "I know we're killing you," 
but you got to do it. You know what I'm saying? So you walk out there with this feeling of, I actually kind of know what this guy was going through. In a, I, in a different way, I but the same. Because I, get, I can identify with the, with the emotions. I can identify with how tired he, he was. I can identify with how abused. I can identify with the loneliness of it, yeah. you know. And so I can carry that into this, to this, to this moment and use that because, you know, it's real to me right now. Um, I want to get to to the to the second thing that you, I, you because it's two things like the the second thing that that was daunting about, and I think it's daunting about about all of these characters is you have this sort of um, idealized stature and of greatness. They're not human. They're not human. They're icons. Being. We 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 put we project what on what we need onto these people. Like, you project an idea onto Jackie Robinson or James Brown or Thurgood Marshall, and you go, that's what they are. And if somebody tells you something different, like a fact that, that you know, sort of contradicts that, you, you, you know, reject that in your mind. Right. And, but you're not allowed to do that when you play them. You know, or you, you can do it, but to me, it won't, it won't, you won't find the truth of who they are. I feel like you you have to sort of take them off the pedestal so that you can breathe as them. Right. You know, that's the best way for me to say it. It's like, okay, I'm him. Now I'm breathing. I'm eating. I'm having sex. I'm going to the bathroom. I'm doing everything a human being does. Um, they're not this sort of mirage yeah, I have to make them flesh and blood, and so that is always sort of the hardest part of it is that you gotta, you know, pull them off that pedestal. That takes some balls too, because you know it's like you're gonna you're gonna challenge the idea that people have of this person too. Right. Because if you don't, he's not gonna be three dimensional. Right. Like I'll never forget. Like I'm dressed. Um, you know. The first day of filming, get on up. Uh, actually, it was a camera test before the first day, and some of his family members were on set every James day. James Brown's family. Yeah, yeah, his grandson Jason Brown was there. So he, I'm dressed up. I got the hair. I got the you know, for, from the wig for that day because it was so many different wigs. The clothes. They got. I got a bodysuit on, and I'm sitting there. And he comes in and he says, Granddad. <laughs> really? <laughs> and he literally came and sat, sat, he sat on the shoulder. He didn't, it felt like he was sitting on my knee, but he sat on the shoulder of the, of the chair. And I was like, oh my gosh. I, I had been playing around in the room as him, but when he came in, it became so real. Right. It was like, okay, now I've stepped into a different dimension of this thing. Because for everybody else, it still was the idea of it. You know what I mean? It, it, it might have even been borderline the imitation of it. Right. Even though I was trying not to do that. But when he said granddad, right, you know, and I've heard his stories and I've read stories and, and uh, it became... Like, oh my gosh, like this he knew him 
behind the scenes. He knew how. You know. Well, I would think I would think with James Brown, the act of having to learn his dance moves would would make you know him because you know what I mean. I would think just like baseball. I would think finding, like, really going deep into the same discipline that mm-hmm. that person had, it, it would have to, it would have to make you know them on a level that no one else could know them because they, they just hadn't done the work. Yeah, no, it, absolutely. Except that he, you know, I feel like with this, um, with his moves, it was always so. Um, he, where he was 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 so far beyond what I could reach in that amount of time. And, sure. and so I felt like here I am, I got two months to learn learn this. And you know, I had a great uh, Akman Jones, AJ, uh, who you know, came in and, and helped a little bit uh, with some stuff even with Black Panther. He, um, he was a great teacher um, of those movements, but just but but if the the um, for those movements to be informed by the history is a whole different thing. That's it's, the beautiful thing about what you do and what you get to do. You get to study history and you get to study dance. And you get to put the two together and try to draw the parallels and figure out who the guy is. And, and granted, you don't have ten years to do it, but but that's uh, to me that's. That's the greatest thing about your job. It, 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 I would say that it's, it's amazing and it leaves you, um, whereas you would walk into the experience and you go, uh, who is this person? You always walk out of it um, admiring the person even more. Yeah. Like I remember the last day of filming, get on up, and it's like it finally sunk in. Like I was like, oh, this thing has finally become a part of me. The last dance scene, the last um, concert scene, it, it's like it sunk in on the last day. And I was like, I never, ever, ever want to stop shooting this movie now. Because <laughs> like, you're was, the guy. I was like, I, I was like oh, my gosh. It, 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 now I want to do this all over again. Um, because... N- now it's, you know, after filming for two and a half months, now I'm like, okay, now I'm here. Well, I'll tell you, um, I read a little something about how, you know, there was some resistance from your part in the beginning of wanting to play James Brown, and that came on the heels of 42. And, and I can understand the idea that, man, I don't want to just become the guy that takes on every biopic of a significant African-American in history. And, you know, it, it made me wonder, talking about the roles that, and the stories that you get to play that right. culturally makes sense. And, and I wonder if you have a different standard or a different obligation or a different responsibility that you've grown into in terms of the stories you want to tell. And when you go back to Howard and you speak to people or when you, when you go teach... Do you, are you held to a different standard by yourself? Mm. You know that can be yeah, it can be good or bad. You know what I yeah. mean. But I would I would definitely say that there's a different thing that I'm looking for probably, um, and and I would and I would say it probably always was a different thing I was looking for because of that prior experience, like the you know. Um, my teachers, some of them in school and some of them out of school, um, 
and sort of the um, the manifesto that you that you're sort of given at Howard. Not to say that everybody follows that, but but um, there is a there is sort of a manifesto to to tell stories, um, you know, that sort of um, highlight <laughs> the African and African American experience. I think you that is. Um, I'm paraphrasing that manifesto right now, but that's that's something you get when you're at Howard. So even though every role you play may not do that, I think you, because you've gone through that experience, you relish those opportunities. And right. so, yes, it, like I think once you've um, once you play Jackie Robinson, you could choose to be like, okay, I'm going to do something that. Uh, um, you know, that takes me out of that box. And I kind of have, you know, I, I, I feel like I've chosen to do Draft Day, Message from the King. They're not really in the same vein. But I, I did want to do things that sort of were different. You know, there's something about those characters that allow you to look at a black man a little in a little different way even if it's just this black man's coming from South Africa he's a fish out of water and he has a special skill set right but you're going to project onto him that he's an immigrant who's maybe not that educated who doesn't make a lot of money um and you're going to miss because of whatever your experience is this thing that he, this skill set, this ability, you're going to underestimate him continuously. So taking that role was about, I can sort of expose this character, unveil this character to the audience, and their preconceived notions will always get the better of them. And so it's, it, it's something about that to me that does connect to playing a Jackie Robinson or a James Brown, um, because I'm allowed, I'm allowed to illuminate a different type of um, black man that people are not used to. Right. Um, so even though, you know, you might say, well, he's Black Panther is sort of on that level. To me, the other ones are too. It's just not as as evident. I mean, it's like we we live in a society where the arts have affected how we view the world. Um, you know, so we've, we've gone through periods of time where stereotypical um, versions of the black experience have negatively affected how people view um, their surroundings and view people, view how cops may view um, uh, a black man when they encounter them or how somebody might view somebody when they come in for a job. So all I'm really saying is you have the opportunity through your art to convey different ideas. And you could go, well, I'm just going to work. I don't care what it says. But, but why do that when there's such a wealth of stories um, that have not been told? about the African-American experience, like that have been neglected over the years. There's way more information there than there is in the stereotype, which is hollow. Right. Even if the experience is one where I'm going to play a black serial killer, 
people may have in their mind. I don't know any black serial killers, right? Not saying I want to do that. Right. But <laughs> but if that is some somehow even doing this thing that is viewed as negative might open up people's minds to say that, oh, he was bad, but damn, he was smart. Right. Damn, he, he had, you know, if I can watch Dexter and fall in love with that character, right, you know, and he's a white boy, why can't I do that with a black character? You're right. I'm not allowed as a black man to be that and be loved. And so there's, to me, there's not necessarily this, you know, very base level of, oh, he's, these characters are great and they're iconic and I have to play them. It's like, what is freedom? Right. If, if, if you're free, you, like Chris Rock has said um, in a genius way uh, several times that, and I'm paraphrasing, that, that freedom is, is being allowed to be mediocre also. Right. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, no, you're absolutely right. What you're saying is that right now what we have in the business is there's only certain places where African-Americans fit with the, the storylines or fit with the characters that we know. And by flipping it on its head and saying, I can play a serial killer that you can sort of begrudgingly like for his cunning, you're right. Most people would say we can't put a black man in that right. role. And it's like, why not? Right. And, and, you, and, and they might say that. And they may feel that they're being progressive by saying that, when in reality, right? When it, it, exactly. It, it, it's 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 like, oh, you're actually setting setting the bar back by thinking that it can't be done. And so, it very often for me is like when I read something, I'm like, well, let me keep an open mind, and let me see what it does to me when I read it, and. If I start, I, I generally will have this, um, you know, I'm judging it for its literary merit. You know, I'm like, is it, does it, does it follow the rules? Um, does it follow the rules too well? Does have it, have, we, it, had, have it, we been it, over it, that ground yeah, already? Yeah, is it such, is it follow the rules so well that it's a formula at this point? Does it break the rules really well? You know, is this... Did it hold my attention? Like whatever it is. And if I walk away from it and then have to come back to it and go, oh, or I start to, and this is always the, the, the key, I start to somehow do things related to this project or this character um, subconsciously that I'm, starting, I'm somehow starting to play out the character before I take on the role, that I generally know from that that I want to play it. Yeah. And then it's a question of, well, are you, can you do it? You know, can you do justice to it? So for me, it's like, it's, it's not this thing of, oh, I played this, so I got to play that, and now I got to play this, and now I got to play Black Panther. And let me, it's not just that. It is literally like, um, how, wh- what is the challenge for me? And what is the challenge for the audience? And can we get better yeah. from, from me doing this? Well, listen, Chadwick, 
I could talk to you for hours about this stuff. I feel like <laughs> there's nine conversations out of things that we just barely touched upon, and I love talking to you. And, Thank you, bro. Thank you. And I think great. that your life's going to blow up with Black Panther if it hasn't already. And it's a, your career's been amazing to watch. So thanks for coming and sharing this stuff with me. Thank you, man. Thank you for having me. Hey folks, that's our show for today. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. And if you haven't yet seen Chadwick in Get On Up and 42 and Marshall, you're in for a big treat. He plays these icons with such depth and humanity that you kind of forget you're watching a narrative at all. And you feel like you're in the room with Jackie Robinson and James Brown and Thurgood Marshall. So check that out. And if you haven't yet been to the off-camera website, check that out too, because we're also a full-fledged television show, and you can watch this episode and every other episode we've ever made by going to our website and getting a monthly subscription. And getting a subscription really supports the show and helps us keep doing what we're doing. So check that out, and while you're at it, tell your friends about Off Camera. Don't keep it a secret. We want to get the word out there about the show and make sure that everyone that is in love with acting, music, writing, directing any form of the arts, any form of the creative process has a chance to get in on these conversations. If you want to find us on social media, we are Off Camera Show at Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. I am Sam Jones at Twitter and Sam Jones Pictures at Instagram. Or email me. I'm Sam at offcamera.com. Tell me what you think of the show. Tell me who you think should be on it. And tell me what you're doing with your creative life. Again, that's Sam at offcamera.com. I want to thank everyone that helped on the show this week and who helps every week. We have Crawford Shippey, our producer, Nathan Shields, who does sound and picture editing, Michaela Galvin on cameras and graphic design, Sasha Snow, who keeps the office running smoothly, Kara Johnson on transcription work, Amy Jones, our capable wordsmith, and Matt Davidson, who manages to keep the baseboards sparkling clean and doesn't let the dust collect on any surface here at the office. So we owe a big thank you to him as well. See you next time, off camera.